Uh, good morning, Meadowbrook. We're glad you're here. I'm Scott. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. And in a moment, we'll be reading from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. So uh, you might want to find that about five books over. Chapter six, Deuteronomy chapter six. We're kind of concluding today a series of thoughts based out of these Old Testament readings where we've asked the question, will people believe? God's at work in us and around us in ways to bring belief. The question is, will we? And what we'll be talking about today is how our kind of rehearsing our experiences that we've had with him through the years kind of refines, sharpens, makes more clear our faith. And so I appreciate uh, Marvin and Christina helping us uh, by sharing their story today to kind of get into this whole idea of what it means to rehearse our experiences, to think about our stories. So um, let me ask you, do you know the story from September 11, 2001? You know that story. You remember exactly where you were, exactly what you were doing when 9-11 happened and those twin towers were hit and the Pentagon and the plane crashed out in the field of Philadelphia or of, uh, Pennsylvania. Now, you'll have to be a little bit older, but November 22, 1963, do you remember exactly where you were, what you were doing when you found out that President Kennedy had been shot? See, those of us that have lived through those kinds of things, those stories have not only impacted us, they have uh, in some ways shaped us. Now, let me get a little more uh, obscure. Who knows where that is? You know, that's right here in this room around November of 2007. Before we finished out this building, uh, it was just an empty warehouse, and we gathered in here for prayer to consecrate this space to God and to consecrate ourselves to his service. And one of the ways that we did that was we said, we want to be, Father, a conduit of your love, a conduit of your mercy and grace so that others can find you, so that others can experience you, so that others can know you as we were just singing and so part of what we did was we went over to these walls before we put the sheetrock up and we wrote names on the wall that we felt like God had put on our heart. People in our lives that we loved, that we cared about, and we wrote their names on the wall to say, Father, would you redemptively work in and around that person's life? And if we were to go ripping sheetrock off the wall here, you'd see hundreds of names on the wall. How many of you have some names over there on the wall? How many of you still are praying, still hoping, still looking for God to do something in their lives? Let me just say, and I'm not going to come pick on you. How many of you would say, I had a name on that wall and they have come to faith in Christ? Yeah, several of you. Awesome. That is a story worth telling. And uh, we need to hear about that sometime. Do you know the story? Because, you see, this is the way 
that God begins to allow himself to be known generation to generation to generation. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That word commend in the English Standard Version literally means to extol, to praise, to celebrate. One generation will exalt in your name to the next generation. So, Mom and Dad, let me just say it to you this way. If your children never hear you exalt in God, praise, celebrate God, it'll have to happen in their lives in an extraordinary way because you are the primary way that God has seen fit to pass that on to them. And some of us didn't have parents that passed that on to us. And God did extraordinary things. From someone else that had had an experience of him, and they commended the Lord. They passed that on to us. Now, that gets us into what we're going to be reading about today. But I have to ask you, just so that you begin to contextualize everything we're going to be talking about. How did your parents come to faith and follow Jesus? Do you know? For those of you whose parents... We're Christ followers. Do you know that story? Do you know what the defining experiences were that shaped the lives and the faith of your parents? If you know those stories, the question is, do your children know those stories? If you don't know those stories and your parents are still living... Find out those stories. Who knows your story? Do your children know your story? Your siblings? I'm not just talking about some of the circumstances that are a part of your story that they kind of live through with you. I'm talking about the things that are in the heart, that are internal, that uh, were you know, of a God connection type. Any neighbors, any work colleagues know your story. I don't mean where you dump the whole story on them, but from time to time you're able to share a little piece of it here and a little piece of it there. That is uh, what our text gets into today. So we're looking at Deuteronomy 6. And for those of you that uh, are newer around here, We began a journey together, uh, January 1, of reading the Bible through across 2012. And uh, we have a reading guide that we're using so that you read a little bit every day, 15, 20 minutes worth. And uh, across the year, you will have read the entire Bible. And not only that, it's laid out in a chronological kind of way. So if you're newer here and you're interested, we'd love for you to join the journey with us. And at the bottom of your program, uh, you'll see... Uh, A link to our website where you can go and get the reading plan as well as some other tools. Uh, Just pick it up in week 10, I think we're in now, and join us, okay? So uh, what we're talking about today is a part of the readings for the coming week. And in chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 4. This is uh, one of the more more important texts in all of Judaism. It's known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That's pretty comprehensive. Talk about it all the times, basically what he says. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Move on down with me to verse 20. So when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And so on it goes. This is a big deal. He said it's such a big deal. I want you to have it engraved on your heart. I want it as if... You took a little box and put these scripture verses in it and put it right between your eyes on your forehead like a frontlet. I want you to bind it to your hands and to your arms so that you can see it everywhere you go. And good Orthodox Jews have always and still do that very thing. But what God was most interested in was not that you could somehow display the heritage, the history, the faith experiences uh, by attaching things to your body as much as it was engraved on your heart. And you would t- tell and share and repeat the stories over and over again. Stories such as we were slaves in Egypt and God's mighty hand delivered us. And you go into all the stories about how God did that miraculously. and He showed us signs and wonders He uh, led us down to Mount Sinai, and there we worshipped him, and there he manifested himself to us, and there he gave us the law, and there we built the tabernacle, specifically as he designed and told us to do it, right? Pretty specific? Yeah? Okay. Some of you are still banging your head against the wall. Ah, So much specificity. And then we finally came to the point where we left Sinai, we went up to Kadesh Barnea, and we sent the spies out into the land to uh, see how we would be able to take the land with God's help. Only the spies came back, gave the report, and we didn't believe God. It's important to talk about the times you didn't believe as well as the times you did. And how God dealt with you in both of those kinds of situations and scenarios. And so he says, know the story. Tell the story. Live the story. Be the story. Now, have you already come across a guy by the name of Og? 
we had uh, a little introduction to him in our numbers reading. You're going to read about him a few more times in Deuteronomy. In fact, you'll read about Og of Bashan several times across the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Just curious, has Og stood out to you yet? You, you recall? That's what I thought. Um, look at how many times, though, he'll appear in the Old Testament. This story is as big as the David and Goliath story. Big in the sense that Og apparently was a gigantic man, and so were all the inhabitants of Bashan. Now, you'll remember when the spies go out and they look at the land and they come back and they say, we can't do this. We can't overcome these people. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. They are like giants. And as you're reading that, you're going, is that metaphorically speaking or what? And apparently it was pretty literal. Apparently, there were pockets of people, those in Bashan being some, who were gigantic type people. Now, as you begin to unpack the story of David and Goliath and you look at the measurements they give for Goliath, probably Goliath is nine to ten feet tall. That's, you know, by even our standards today, that's a pretty gigantic type guy. He would kind of dwarf Shaquille O'Neal, right? But as you get into the text and you begin to look at Og, apparently he was between 13 and 14 feet tall. His bed is described. His grave is described. The people in his day are described. In fact, archaeology has done a, a number of excavations in this area of Bashan. And what you're looking at is not Og's skeletal remains. We don't know who they are. But they're representative of the size of the people that at one time lived in that area. And by way of scale, can you tell how big those skeletons are? It's real obvious on my book, but I don't know if that translates onto this screen. Those are huge, huge skeletal remains. And the point is this. The people were really, really, really terrified. To go against these gigantic, mighty, warrior-type people. Bashan alone had 60 fortified, walled cities. I mean, you'll read a little excerpt here in a couple of weeks about Jericho. That's nothing compared to all the cities in Bashan. And what happens is that under Moses' leadership, the people go up to Bashan and they kill and they wipe out King Og and his people and they take over Bashan and they occupy all 60 of these cities. And that's one story. But notice how many references there are to that one story. Because some of you have been saying to me, Scott, redundancy? What is this? Tell it again, tell it again, tell it again, tell it again. This is what it's about. Rehearsing the faith so that it's refined, so that it's sharp, so that it's crystal clear. Not just in your mind, but in your heart and sharp on your tongue. Ready to come out and to say a good word about God at any given moment. And so in all the contexts that you could read these references to Og and to Bashan across the Old Testament and the New, 
they basically will be in a chronology uh, recounting the acts of God. And God did this, and God did this, and God did this, and God led us to overcome Og and all of those of Bashan. And he did this, and he did, and it's just one of many stories. Rehearse your belief in God. And as you do, it'll have these kinds of outcomes for you. One, it'll guard your own heart. Now, we have circumstances that uh, bombard us all the time that, like, you know, winds and waves bashing against a ship, bash against our faith all the time, right? And when you rehearse your faith, when you rehearse the experiences that you have with God, when you rehearse the experiences that other believers in other places and other times have had with God, it fortifies your heart, it guards your heart against despair, against disbelief, against discouragement. Now this past week, I spent a couple of days with several Redmond pastors. And some of you know I've been building relationships with these guys for quite a while, uh, not just for the purpose of friendship, but for the purpose of our seeing how might God bring all of our congregations together to significantly impact the greater Redmond area for Christ. And so this little get-together, this getaway, we went to a cabin in the woods for a couple of days, is strategically about that. And we spent our first morning, after we had coffee, we spent our first morning, hours of the morning, rehearsing with one another what we had seen God do in the last 12 months. That's how we started our time together. And one by one, we went around the room and, and we just said, let's define it to the last 12 months since we last met and we had gotten together last February. What have you seen God do? And we talked for hours, just rehearsing. God did this, God did this, I saw him do that. And it wasn't all the, and God killed King Og and Bashan, and we took all the, I mean, there was a few victories. But there was also some bloody, beat up kinds of stories where it, it's just been hard. And about anything you can imagine that people go through, you know, these, these pastors have gone through it, or they certainly have loved ones and friends that they're walking with who are going through all kinds of stuff. So we were commending the Lord to one another, even though we all serve Him and have done so for decades in ministry. It guards our heart. It also guides the hearts of our children. We're thankful for our children's ministries, for what's happening you know, across the hall here with uh, preschool ages and behind the building over here with uh, grade school ages. Dedicated people, love your kids, invest in them, pray for them. My friend, all of that is supplemental to what God calls on mom and dad to do. And mom and dad are the primary bearers of the stories of God. 
And I'm not just talking about the Noah and the Moses and the David and Jonah and those stories. Got to do that. But more personally, the stories of God interfacing and interacting with your life. So that they can see God at work and hear about God at work right here and now because of what He's doing in and through you. Stories that they will someday pass on to their kids and to others. It guides their hearts. And, certainly not least, it glorifies the name of God. How many thousands of years ago did God work in the midst of these ragtag group of Hebrews to overcome Og and Bashan? And we're still talking about it today. Or some of us do. It glorifies Him. It brings uh, a light, it casts a light on Him that He deserves. And that is important for us to be able to see. Now, because we fall by the wayside in these kinds of uh, responsibilities to know the stories, to tell the stories, uh, to be forthcoming in that, generations come and go that don't know the greatness of God. And so you're going to get there in just a few weeks as we're continuing through Deuteronomy and then we're going to get, you know, into Joshua and we'll see all about the conquest of the land and, and, and how they are able to have the promised land. But it won't be very long after that when they are in this season of being ruled by judges where they forget the person and the power and the work of God. Judges 2.10 says, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. How can that happen? How can the God who brings the signs and wonders in Egypt and delivers them, who parts the Red Sea, who manifests on Mount Sinai, who brings them through multiple conquests like Og and Bashan, like the walls of Jericho and so on we could go, how can that happen that a generation doesn't know that stuff? The same way it happens with our generation today. The same way it can happen with our families today. What's your faith story? I'm going to ask you to do some things this week. Now, you have to know if God's a living God, If God's really like here, he shows up and meets with us. It's not just so that we can get a little inspiration bump. (gasps) That felt good. But that it's constantly about the transformation of our heart and of our head. And so part of what we're talking about today, we've got to do something with that. What's your faith story? Let me just ask you, but how did you come to Christ? I want to encourage you to write that down. Now, some of you have written it down before, and that's, that's great. If you feel so impressed to do that again this week, do it again this week. Sharpen it up. But I would encourage you to do this. Think about, what was my life like before I met Christ? 
Now, some of you, you met Christ at six or seven years of age. There's not much there to tell. Some of you came to Christ when you were in your 30s. There's something to tell. Think about it. Write some of that down. How is it that you began to discover, I need Christ. There's something broken in me. There's something that needs saving, and I believe He's the Savior. How did you discover that you needed Him? And then how is it that you actually connected with Christ? How is it that He entered and redeemed and saved and began to transform your life? And then finally, what's your life been like since you met Christ? What kinds of changes is he bringing about? You know, I always carried a grudge. I always uh, got sideways in my relationships. And God's helped me to be a forgiving person or a reconciling person. Or, you know, whatever your story is. What's it been like since then? Now, I'd encourage you to do this in about a page. This doesn't have to be volumes. Just in about a page. So that if you were to just say it, it would take you about 60 seconds a minute to say it. Now, why do I say it that way? Because generally, when you have an opportunity to say a good word for God, you have about one minute. That's about all people will give you. If uh, it comes up in conversation in some kind of way and you're ready to tell them 10 minutes worth, I'm sorry. They gave you a minute and then it's over for them. Right? Now, friends, we can't have a service like we're having today, talking about what we're talking about today, without you understanding God's going to do something with this. This very week, God's going to give you an opportunity to share your story with somebody. All I'm doing is trying to give you some encouragement to get ready. Do a little thinking. Do a little rehearsing in your mind and in your heart. Do a little writing and refining of it so that you can articulate, here's how I knew I needed Christ. Here's how he came into my life. Here's what it's been like since. There's other parts of your story that will be relevant to your conversations this week. Has God ever provided something for you? Like answered a prayer and like money came out of nowhere and you knew God did that. Has God ever healed you of something? Anything from a physical malady to a broken heart to a broken spirit or whatever? Man, that's your story that tells of His goodness. Has God ever guided you? I just didn't have a clue what to do. And God showed me. Somehow He began to bring some puzzle pieces together and it began to make sense. And I just knew God wanted me to do this or to go there. Has God ever given you favor in some situation? There's no way, as you entered this scenario, that anybody should have paid attention to you or deferred to you or tried to listen to you or involve you, but you just had favor. And it was like God had just like opened a door and, and here you are. And you get to be or you get to do whatever. These are parts of your story. Of God's great activity in you and through you. And you want to think about that. You want to rehearse that. You want to share that. And I want to encourage you to practice on the friends that you have in your share group this week. And so as we're checking in with each other in share group this week, 
say, I, I just need to tell you something about God and me. And, and just pick it. Take a minute or two. Minute or two. Some of you I know, 10 or 20. No, minute or two. And share it. I mean, what an exciting gathering it is for 10 people to sit around and just talk about what God's been doing. Colossians 4, 6 says it to us this way. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Full of grace. You're going to be in some conversations this week with obnoxious people. Irritating Scratch the chalkboard kind of people. Full of grace, full of grace, full of grace. But seasoned. Turn or burn. No, no, no. (laughs) Seasoned. With the salt of God's activity in your life. So that you you know how to answer everyone. 1 Peter 3.15 says it this way. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, you know how this happens. It's happened to you. I'm visiting with a cousin that I haven't seen for some time, and we're just kind of milling around in the kitchen, and there's a cousin of a cousin or something like that there. I don't have a clue who this person is. I've never met him before, but I meet him for the first time, and he's drinking a cup of coffee, and I'm pouring myself a cup of coffee, and and out of nowhere. So you're a minister. What is that whole Jesus and gospel thing about anyway? (sighs) Really? That's the question? It's like, you know, volumes and volumes and volumes written on that. I've got one minute. Right? I've got 30 seconds to respond to that. Always be prepared. Always be ready. So, what will you do this week? What will you do today? Will you consider the evidence and choose to believe? Some of you are still grappling with that. This whole God thing, this whole Jesus thing, the whole cross and resurrection, and he's like, is, you know, true? Believable? Commit my whole life to that? Listen, weigh the evidence. We've been talking about evidence around here week after week after week. We offer you this book by Lee Strobel, A Case for Faith. There's evidence. Nobody's asking you to take a blind leap of faith. We're asking you to take a step in the light of revelation. Things that you can weigh and evaluate. And if you come to a point of belief, then will you prepare to share stories of faith? Will you think about things? Maybe write them down. Have some preparation in your life to engage a conversation in a redemptive kind of way. Will you share your story every time God gives you opportunity? Now, there's the commitment, friends, for most of us. Because this week, I promise you, because of what he's been doing this morning, 
you're going to have multiple opportunities to say a good word about God. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know the answers to the hardest faith questions in the Bible. It's not what we're talking about. You have an experience. You have a story with God out of which he's going to use to catalyze and to spark and to prick at the heart for faith. And will you make a commitment that every time he gives you that opportunity, stumbling, fumbling, or whatever, I'm going to do my best with his help to say a good word about God? Let me pray for you. Father, uh, there's part of me that just is almost giddy at the thought of the scenarios that will play out this week. How conversations will unfold and all of a sudden we'll get nervous knowing, hey, this is a moment. And we call upon you to do what you've already promised. That you'd give us words. That you would help our thinking That you would allow us to convey from the heart a good word about you. And we pray, Father, that redemptive things will happen this week. We pray that those that are not connected would move toward connection with you. We pray that it's a day of salvation. That those that are in the dark come into the light. Those that are lost are found. Those that are drowning in hopelessness find the hope. And we pray that in the name of hope, the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.